0: Good evening and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And tonight our topic is environmental medicine. And our guest is Dr. Amy Dean, board member of the American Academy of Environmental Medicine and chairman of its public relations committee. Dr. Dean got her bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan and her Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine degree from the Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine, which as listeners to this show know, it is now A.T. Still University. She is board certified in both internal medicine and holistic medicine. The organization has actually been around since 1965, so environmentally-based health issues really aren't anything brand new, are they?
1: Environmental medicine has always been an issue whether physicians and healers have recognized it or not. It seems with the development and production of many pesticides and petrochemicals since the the 1940s, that with the pollution levels today, more and more people are being affected by their environment. And AAEM strives to kind of find these underlying causes of disease and try to, at least best they can, find answers and treatments for those.
0: What is environmental medicine?
1: You know, environmental medicine actually is, to some degree, kind of founded in traditional medicine in that a lot of our members are board certified in family medicine or surgery. But in addition to that traditional training, we as environmental physicians try to find the underlying causes of disease. So instead of treating symptoms, we actually look for different causes that may be foods that we're eating or air that we're breathing. It could be things in our home if we get our home pesticided every month and just kind of try to sort out these little details to see how they're affecting our health. So in traditional medicine, there might be a patient who's having problems with their bowels and a skin rash and asthma, and in traditional medicine, they would see a gastroenterologist, a lung doctor, and a dermatologist for all these different symptoms, but an environmental physician might find that it's an actually a mold allergy that's causing all three of these things, and by eliminating the trigger, actually is able to create health in the patient and resolve all of these symptoms.
0: So environmental medicine is really a holistic approach to treating the individual, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is quite holistic, actually. And instead of trying to separate the body into different parts, we try to find what are the underlying issues that may be causing symptoms to flare up in different areas. And it's amazing how many different things in the environment can actually trigger patients and also how unique each patient is regarding what they're being exposed to. It's really important to take an environmental history and understand what the patient's being exposed to so you can try to find ways to remove these things from their environment or at least minimize the effect on their health.
0: I've heard it often said that we really don't get sick most of the time. Something is probably making us sick. Is that a fair description of some of the thoughts behind environmental medicine?
1: Yeah, I think if you really spend time with patients, most environmental physicians spend at least an hour on the first interview, sometimes an hour and a half or two hours at least, trying to find out what these little triggers are. And a lot of times, different minor exposures, it could be chronic low-level exposures in the home or workplace. It could be food allergies that could be causing triggers as well. In addition to that, it can be mold exposure. A lot of patients have trouble with inhalant allergies. And even things that we sometimes overlook like nutritional imbalances and hormone imbalances, that can also kind of all tie in and create this total load on a patient, which affects their health.
0: What is the body's total stress load?
1: Well, total stress load, you can think of kind of as all the different things that may be influencing a patient's health. And it's different for every patient. And these things all add up and can eventually, if the body is stressed enough, develop into disease. So... For example, someone may as a child have chronic ear infections and have received antibiotics and that would be one part of their total stress load. And then later on, they may have worked in a paint factory, say for a summer job and been exposed to lots of paint fumes and things. That would also be kind of an addition to the antibiotics and and would be kind of an additional total load. And then if they happen to move to an area that's really industrial and are breathing a lot of pollutants in, that again would be another addition to their total load. And usually the body can balance pretty well most of the time. So patients can go for sometimes years with kind of chronic low-level exposures or food allergies and really not notice anything until kind of the breaking point. And usually there may be some kind of final straw that kind of overwhelms the system, and that's when you start to see disease, uh, even though things may have been kind of progressing in that direction for years.
0: What types of diseases and illnesses are most commonly involved with the environment?
1: You know, I think a lot of people think of allergies and asthma often as being involved, and that certainly is the case. There are some other diseases that we're starting to see some pretty significant links with environmental pollution like heart disease. In fact, a study came out not too long ago that showed visits to the emergency room for heart attacks increased proportionally to air pollution. So we're starting to see that link to cardiac disease. Also, there have been studies published that Parkinson's and Blue Gehrig's disease have their roots in different types of chemical exposures and pesticide exposures. And Breast cancer also is an area that we're finding is influenced by chemicals in the environment that are estrogen mimickers. And these are chemicals that can actually mimic estrogen and bind to the estrogen receptors in the body and create abnormal cell growth. So these are things like plastics, like plastic water bottles. These are common household cleaners and things that we use in our lives every day, personal care products. And... Uh, starting to see the connection between those low-level estrogen-mimicking chemicals resulting in breast cancer and prostate cancer. This is actually an area where people can really beneficially impact the chances of staying healthy because by just removing those things from their environment and moving toward more plant-based cleaners and plant-based products, they can at least decrease their risk for having some of
0: these diseases. What kind of treatments and therapies do you use in environmental medicine?
1: Well, we do have some things that are unique to environmental medicine, and then we also do some other treatments that other holistic practitioners use also. One thing that we really have found to be very effective with patients is avoidance. So many of the patients that come to see us in their homes, they're using air fresheners and different types of toxic solvents, you know, for cleaning purposes and lots of different scented products. And by just removing those things from the home, we can decrease our total load, decrease our exposure to these things, and it actually takes the stress off the body and the body can start to heal. So we really do stress what we call environmental controls or avoidance and have found that even in patients who aren't chemically sensitive, patients who have fibromyalgia, patients with chronic fatigue, different types of depression or anxiety can also respond to and benefit from environmental controls. And then in addition to that, we also do certain types of testing for sensitivities to foods and chemicals and pollens, molds, and biological inhalants. And these tests are done under the tongue or in the skin. And some of them are blood work. And we can actually tell that a person has an allergy to something. And then we can also use that information to make a dilution of the allergen to treat the patient. So, for example, Say a child has attention deficit disorder, and you can actually put an extract of, say, strawberry under their tongue, and if they're sensitive to it and it's tied in with their ADD, it will actually cause those same symptoms, and then we can use a different dilution to turn the symptoms off. So some of these techniques called provocation neutralization or serial endpoint titration are techniques that we have found very effective for a lot of different diseases and have really benefited patients. And we also do detoxification in our patients to reduce the total load. And many of our physicians use heat depuration or sauna to actually pull the toxins out of the body. And by decreasing the pollutant load, there have been a lot of studies that have shown we actually are able to improve organ function. So cardiac function will improve. Neurological functions can improve. A lot of patients find that they're able to actually work and be functional again. And every one of these therapies in environmental medicine is always tailored to the patient. So those are our main therapies, but we also do hormone balancing and nutritional therapy. A lot of our physicians do intravenous nutrients to try to bypass, we say bypassing the gut. And sometimes patients have a lot of trouble absorbing nutrients initially because of different types of parasites or bacteria in their intestines and using intravenous nutrition we're actually able to give vitamin c or different vitamins and heal the body in that method so those are the main types of treatments that we're using some physicians also do chelation therapy which is removal of toxic metals from the body and have found that to be effective in a lot of different chronic diseases, it can be very helpful in treating autoimmune diseases as well as neurological conditions too. A lot of us seem to be the doctors of last resort, you know, and patients have seen 10 or 20 other physicians and they end up in our offices and actually do get better, you know, and it's really encouraging to see that people can heal. But sometimes it really does take that detective work that the environmental physician is trained to do to kind of sort out what really is going on with the patient. And you really have to spend time talking with patients and understanding what they've been through to know kind of how to approach what diagnostic tests to use and even what treatments to use.
0: Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. Our environment not only affects our physical health, but also our mental health, too, doesn't it?
1: Yes, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these things that we can't see are are affecting us. And especially uh, with depression, a lot of the chemicals that we're exposed to these days, have neurotoxic effects and are neurodepressants, um, one being for formaldehyde. And formaldehyde is a neurodepressant, and a lot of patients that the environmental physicians have treated have noted moving into a new home or when they go shopping in fabric stores or clothing stores that they become depressed, and that's because of the high formaldehyde content in those areas. And the best thing in the home, people could get air filters into their house to filter out some of these pollutants. A lot of the symptoms can resolve to some degree.
0: What are some of the other ways that we can help achieve optimal health in our complex environment today?
1: You know, it's interesting. It's getting It seems harder and harder because of the uh, different factors that are affecting our total load. You know, 30 years ago, there were a lot fewer things to worry about. But what we're seeing today, and and these are things that patients could do or people could do uh, regardless of whether uh, they were able to see an environmental physician or not. And one would be to, to use uh, more natural cleaning products and personal care products in the home. And just by switching over to some of the safer cleaners and laundry soaps and dish soaps that are used or sold in the health food stores, they can really reduce their exposure to petrochemical products, which are the products we're finding, in environmental medicine at least, uh, that a lot of patients are sensitive to and are promoting disease. Also, it can be very beneficial for people to drink exclusively glass-bottled spring water or to filter their water using a carbon block filter. And even though there is an initial investment for that, By just not drinking out of plastic bottled water and filtering the water, you're able to eliminate pesticides and heavy metals and even a lot of the pharmaceutical agents that they're finding in the water supplies now. So water filtration and non-toxic products can be very helpful. Also, air filtration can be really important regardless of where the patient lives because in the cities, air filtration filters out a lot of the industrial pollution that leads to disease. And in the more rural areas, pesticide levels are often quite high because of pesticiding crops and things. So again, activated carbon can be very beneficial to filter out these types of pollutants. The only caveat there is you have to be very careful about what type of filter you use because some of the filters actually are known to produce ozone. So your listeners need to be really mindful when they're looking at air filtration that, you know, there are a couple companies that are are really good, like Austin Air and EL South, that produce top quality products and really are able to pull the pollutants out of the air without adding to the pollutant load.
0: You say you're trying to do something good and it's backfiring.
1: Right, exactly, (laughs) you know, and unfortunately, we don't always get that consumer information out there for people, but it always helps when you have equipment that's not contributing (laughs) to the problem. And um, that goes for food, too. You know, the the more people can eat organic and especially baby formula, the more you can decrease your total load and the less likely that you will build up your levels of pollutants that will lead to disease. And even if organic is impossible, at least try to eat not genetically modified foods because there are a lot of studies coming out that show genetically modified foods are causing inflammation in the body and changes in the liver and the pancreas and a lot of things that we really don't know how they affect health, including fertility. So organic and non-genetically modified if possible. And even, you know, patients and your listeners could eat less processed food and food that doesn't have preservatives and additives and MSG in it. That food is going to be more healing for their bodies and not stress out their detoxification mechanisms so much.
0: I know chemicals and molds and pollens and other factors can be environmental problems, but is there also electromagnetic pollution from all of our gadgets today?
1: You know, that's a really hotly debated topic, and it's tough because a lot of the research that is coming out that supports the fact that these devices are harmful is coming out of Europe, and it's just really hard to get that information into the states. And I think it was about a month, maybe two months ago, that Sweden published yet another study showing that there is a link between using the cell phone at the ear and glioma, which is the, the really nasty brain cancer. And they also showed that there is a link between using the cell phone and and tumors on the on the hearing nerve. So The data is slowly kind of making its way. I think it's just very slow, and it's going to take some time. And and listeners and consumers need to be very proactive about their health and understand how to kind of protect themselves and shield themselves from environmental issues, including electromagnetic radiation.
0: The new science of epigenetics is showing how our genes respond to our environment, that we may have a gene for cancer, but it's not self-activating. Is this awareness elevating the importance of environmental medicine today? You
1: know, I think it is. It really is amazing to see the fact that our genes are influenced by our environment. And, you know, we do know from some research that in the mitochondria, which is a part of the cell that produces energy, and we found that heavy metals can actually bind to the DNA in that mitochondria and affect how much energy the cell produces. So you know, chemicals and toxins do influence uh, the genetics. And I think, again, it's a matter of time to see how we can determine what exactly these influences are. And more specifically, with genetically modified foods, what they're finding in animals is that the animals that eat genetically modified foods, their genes are upregulated or turned on, and they're also downregulated and turned off in areas of insulin production and cell division and carbohydrate metabolism. So definitely genes are influenced by the environment, and I think more research is needed to see the extent of it.
0: So what's the best way for someone to find a doctor experienced in environmental medicine?
1: Probably the best way is to check in the website for AAEM, which is aaemonline.org, and there you'll find a little search category. And if you click on your state, it will bring up all the physicians who are members of the Academy, some of who are board certified. So they'll be able to kind of sort out what would be maybe a good fit for them.
0: So what are the FDA and OSHA doing to protect our health today?
1: Wow, definitely a loaded question. You know, I think it's really interesting because America has taken such a different approach from Europe and a lot of your listeners may be aware in Europe, they kind of stand by, for a lot of environmental issues, what's called the precautionary principle. And I don't know if you're familiar with that Uh -uh. at all. But the idea is to prove the safety of something before it's introduced into the environment. And that's actually how they banned genetically modified foods in Europe. And we're still catching up to using the precautionary principle in the United States. A lot of countries are using it, but I really wish that our... FDA and OSHA and other organizations, Department of Agriculture, would would really take a look at that and realize that that principle could be very much helpful in protecting the consumers and, and citizens of this country.
0: Dr. Dean, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me tonight about environmental medicine.
1: Great. Thank you for having me.
0: Anyone wanting to learn more about environmental medicine should check out the association website, and that's for the American Academy of Environmental Medicine at www.aaemonline.org. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.